1: What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. It's our inaugural episode on the new channel. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you found your way here. I'm very excited to have a college-only exclusive channel. How goes it, Colin?
2: I mean, we have our own college exclusive channel. We're going to have more college basketball, more college football, more than what we're regular with on the other channel. And there may even be a little bit of college baseball audio to come up next spring. We'll have to see how that goes. But I can't think of a better way to kick off this new podcast channel than to talk about one of our favorite conferences who's like literally going through breaking news right now. You know, no surprise, looks like. KU is is in the sights of the Big Ten. Either the Big Ten wants them or KU wants them. It looks like there's some chatter out there about that. We have started off with the right conference to get off to the right foot.
1: Yep. Uh, if you haven't already checked out our previous episodes, we've covered the Big 12, the ACC, and we had a mm-hmm. high-level two-part overview of the college football landscape and some win total talk. Mm-hmm. That's on our previous feed. That, that's it. We won't be there ever again. So if you want to listen to us, You'll find us here. We have Pac-12 coming up next Tuesday, and then we'll get into some group of five. We'll have two episodes for the SEC, one for each division, and then week zero is going to be here. Uh, So it's coming up quick, but let's dive right into the Big Ten. Big Ten Unders. Look, we just did the ACC. The story over the years has been Clemson dominating the conference. It's a similar story here with Ohio State. Ohio State's going for their fifth straight big 10 title well they got a little bit of a help last year with the rule change but uh, they haven't lost to a team in their division in the east since Penn State in a whiteout at Happy Valley in 2016 is the last time that Ohio State lost uh, a game to a team in their division this year they're clearly the favorites in the east Uh, they you know they did lose Justin Fields they lost Trey Sermon and seven regulars on defense including their top three linebackers so they're are some questions but this is ohio state they reload your four and five starter five stars step in we'll get to them in a second the west has been very unpredictable over the years a lot of times the preseason favorite doesn't go on to win it northwestern is actually going for their third division title in the past four years as far as coaching changes to consider Bilaba baby Brent Bielema is in this conference. We'll get to him in a second. Teams that have both new offensive and defensive coordinators, Illinois, Maryland, and Michigan. So, you know, Maryland, Michigan, same head coaches, maybe on the hot seat. We know Bodog Jim is. Three teams with new offensive coordinators, Illinois, Maryland, and Penn State. Seven Of the 14 teams in the Big Ten, have new defensive coordinators. Although Ohio State is just going from co-defensive coordinators to just Kerry Coombs. They're included in that list. One new head coach, and that head coach is the only head coach in FBS that has Colin Wilson blocked on Twitter. (laughs) Brett Bielema takes over for Lovey Smith at Illinois in Champaign. Uh, So I need to know the story. Why are you blocked by Mr. Believer?
2: Well, Lovey Smith, more like Haiti Smith, right? So, welcome to the new channel if you're a longtime listener.
0: I'm Devin from Alabama, Champagne, Illinois. Lovey Smith, the name should be Haiti Smith for mouth. Champagne.
2: Illinois is a program that we have struggled to handicap for a long time because there is just no consistency. And now Brett Bielema comes in. Yes, I'm blocked on Twitter by Brett Bielema. I believe the tweet was a hashtag 0 and 1 is what I said.
1: Woo pig suey. Collins talking Razorback football.
2: Brett came to Arkansas uh, after the John L. Smith and uh, the the program just fell into a trench. Bielema came in. He wanted to establish an identity. Uh, He ended everything with we're going to go 1 and 0 today at the same time his wife. Jen Bielema was tweeting at Wisconsin football saying hashtag karma. So karma, Jen, and Brett didn't really work out at Arkansas. Not really to justify the salary that he was being paid by athletic director, John White, who's been fired by Arkansas and since been fired by Kansas. I believe I was blocked around 2014. He's a little bit sensitive about his image. He's a little bit sensitive when he takes a loss, but I am looking for Wisconsin to thump them because there will be a hashtag karma to come out there. But uh, Brett's back in college football. He's not uh, volunteering for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. He's not drawing a minimum wage salary for the New York Giants. And now that the Razorback Foundation has decided to stop paying Brett Bielema this ridiculous $20 million buyout, uh, he had to get a job. And so now you can find him as the head coach of Illinois, probably waiting and biting his time so that Iowa job could come free to go back to where he played college football. But uh, yeah. I mean, what is this conference? The characters we got here between Bodog Jim. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. And if you're new to the podcast and everything, Jim Harbaugh doesn't like gamblers. Uh, he doesn't want to associate with them. Doesn't want anything to do with them. So we call him Bodog Jim. Um, and uh, now we got Brett Bieleman in the conference and Uh, You know, I think it's just—it's just a cast of characters from PJ Fleck to uh, you know Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, It's just one of my most favorite conferences to talk about.
1: So I'm looking back at some old tweets that have
2: (laughs) and Brett
1: Belima in them. Here's one. Well, here's one. Try to pick out Danny Enos and Brett Belima from this lineup. There's (laughs) Beavis and Butthead, Dumb and Dumber, Bert and Ernie. Then there's another one. 2016 Brett Belima halftime interview said second half focus was a real problem. And they would try to take care of that against the Bob's second half score, seven, three hogs, Brett Belima. Oh, here it is. Entire Wilson family now blocked by Brett Belima. (laughs) Uh, So this is great. So I'm going to retweet something after this comes out uh, on Thursday. Anyway, we'll get, we'll get to (laughs) Illinois. Let's uh, Ohio state, by the way, is minus 200 to win the big 10. Yeah. Penn state plus 800 Wisconsin plus 900. Iowa plus 1,400, and then the drop uh, is pretty precipitous. In the West, it's pretty wide open. Wisconsin's your favorite, right around even money. Iowa plus 200, and those are the two teams that most people think are in the running. Minnesota, Northwestern, Nebraska, kind of that second tier, and then Purdue bringing up the rear. But let's start in the East, where Ohio State has just dominated this division. As we said, they're going for their fifth straight Big Ten title. We know they reload. This is year four of Ryan Day. Uh, Madison is gone as the co-defensive coordinator. I do have questions about the defense, specifically the secondary. Now, I don't. we said this on our main podcast. I don't think it really hurts them in the Big Ten. But if they were to get out of the Big Ten, which I think they do, and get to the College Bowl, well, play an elite passing offense. I have questions about Kerry Coomstone takes over this defense full-time. And, you know, they lose to all three starting linebackers. And on the offensive side, the talent is going to be there. The offensive line is excellent. You know, you lose Trey Sermon. Maybe they still have one of the best or maybe the best wide receiver groups in the country. But you lose Justin Fields as well. And not only do you lose Justin Fields, you don't have a quarterback on your roster who has thrown a pass in a game at the FBS level. But there's a ton of talent there. C.J. Stroud probably the favorite to get the job. So there are questions with this Ohio State team, but they're clearly the cream of the crop and the rightful favorite to win the Big Ten again and get to the college football playoff. They get they have some interesting games on their schedule, Penn State and Oregon, but both of them are at home, and they will obviously look to continue their dominance of Michigan. Their away games, Minnesota, Rutgers, Indiana, Nebraska, and Michigan. Not bad at all uh just that yeah but I I do have questions about uh, you know my main questions there is all right let me see this quarterback I still think it's not going to matter in the Big Ten but we got to see what the quarterback looks like I want to see what Coombs does with this defense they allowed 1.72 yards per play more last year than they did the year before that was the fourth worst decline in all of college football and then maybe I'll get a special team shout out early on here their kicker Kicking situation eh, is a little questionable. I think their kicker went 0-2 in in the spring game. Uh, But this team's obviously loaded. I'm nitpicking here. Anything with Ohio State? Over 11, minus 115. I'm right there, so nothing here for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if they didn't make the college football playoff. I'd be absolutely stunned if they didn't make the college football playoff. And, you know, I think when you're saying that you have questions about the defense, I think Ohio State themselves has questions about the defense. Finally, a scheme change over to a 425 They're introducing the new bullet position. Uh, no player has been assigned to that role. I mean, we're breaking camp here uh, within the next week at all these colleges, and we get to get some more information about who's going to fill this role as the bullet position. And if you're wondering what a bullet position is, it's a floater that can line up defensively in the secondary, uh, similar to Roquan Smith of Georgia who played nickelback, Isaiah Simmons of Clemson who was on the defensive line. He was back in the secondary. This is just a player that they need to create, you know, mismatches to give the quarterback looks, to make them confused, to catch up with Travis Etienne's in space. I mean, I mean, this is Ohio State trying to find an answer to them getting beat in the college football playoff or the national championship game. So they're going to run this 4-2-5. They have a schedule that's conducive for them to kind of try some things out until they figure out who that person in that position is going to be. But, yeah, the talent is there, especially in the front seven. This true freshman, Jack Sawyer, we've been told, is ready for the NFL. That's a statement and a half, You know, especially with Chase Young being there before Heisman contention, uh, number four overall player in the 2021 recruiting class. Uh, he showed his explosive skills in the spring game. Speaking of that, if we flip over to the other side of the ball, I just don't – I don't have any questions about C.J. Stroud whatsoever. Justin Fields hit the spring game. Justin Fields transferred in from Georgia, and we all said – Why doesn't Georgia love him? Why doesn't Kirby Smart love him? How could this kid be transferring? He has the same recruiting rank as Trevor Lawrence. And he went to the spring game and he was 4 of 13. His accuracy was a real issue in that spring game. C.J. Stroud, not an issue. 16 to 25 in the spring game, 185 yards, mistake-free football. And that is going to put him alongside the best wide receiver unit in the nation with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and then as far as depth is concerned, we were betting Jeremy Ruckert props in the national championship. So, I mean, this is an offense we love. Ohio state has lost one game since 2018 that wasn't in the college football playoff. And it took a Rondell Moore Purdue effort to get that done. I just, I don't have any questions about this team. Uh, they reload even when they, you know, I, you hear a big you know thing, like they only have four returning starters or they only return half their defense. it, it just doesn't matter. And when you look at the schedule and you compare it to Penn State's schedule, minus 200 is really, <laughs> it's really not that bad. I, I mean, if you look at, I did a Pochon distribution piece where I looked at all of your win totals, what your projection is to have one loss in conference, two loss in conferences. Really, the numbers should be minus six thirty for the division, and more closer to about minus one fifty for the conference. But I mean, minus, a case can be made of minus two hundred. There are other numbers I would hit. We'll talk about those at the end of the podcast. But to me, stock. I, I just I'm excited to see Jack Sawyer. I don't see a bump in the road with CJ Stroud. Uh, the bullet position to me is the biggest thing, and not just for Ohio State. There are other teams going to a four two five and trying to identify this bullet position as they try to get ready for the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world. Devonte Smith. This Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, just every defensive coordinator in the world has to find an answer and not Isaiah Simmons and Roquan Smith just don't fall off, you know, the back of the truck in the recruiting trail. Yeah, they were outside the top 100 in
1: uh, past success rate on defense last year. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Now, if your defensive front ends up being very elite and there's a lot of promise on the edges that can cover up a lot of the holes that you have. And look, the the talent is there at the quarterback position, but it's zero career pass attempts for the first time in the Ohio State quarterback room since 1952. So is there, and you're going on the road to, uh, in a conference game to start out your season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's Minnesota. It's not a, a great defense, but it's, that's a tough spot for a kid who's never thrown a pass. So we'll see right away, uh, you know, and then you get Oregon. So it's not it's those first two games with a brand new quarterback it's not like they're playing you know akron to start the season so we'll see but yeah i do agree that they should win the division and i think they ultimately win the big 10 but in that division in the east i think the way that i would tier it cream of the crop ohio state and then i think your primary challengers would be indiana and penn state and then the rest at this point it's really shocking to say are pretty you know i would just bunch them all as like in that next year, like I don't even think Rutgers is necessarily in the bottom anymore. They're right there with Michigan State, Maryland, Michigan. Now you could be a little higher or lower on some of these teams, and some of the win totals dictate that. But I think that those teams are uh, a step below Indiana and Penn State. Let's start with Penn State, who I think was a little unlucky last year, and they started shockingly 0 and 4, and then finished 5 and 0. But they were over; they were plus 102 yards per game last year, but they were negative 10 in turnovers the 117th in turnover margin, but they, they did win four straight. No, they started 0 and 5, excuse me. Started 0 and 5 and then won four straight to close the season. Clifford started to play a little bit better. I'm still not a believer in Sean Clifford. Uh, James Franklin maybe feeling some of the heat this year, brought in a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. It's the third offensive coordinator in three years. So while Clifford is back again, after being benched last year, you know, and then he re- won his job. He's got another offensive coordinator coming in here. There's talent here. Uh, the defensive line does have to be rebuilt. They lost a lot of talent on the defensive line. So that's something to watch. The one thing that really sticks out to me with Penn state and their win total of over eight and a half minus half minus one twenty-five is their three toughest opponents on their schedule, Wisconsin, Ohio state, and Iowa. They get them all on the road, which is not an easy task. What do you see with the Nittany lines?
2: Yeah, I think if uh, new offensive coordinator Mike Uricich, uh can fix Sean Clifford, he should easily be up for the Broyles Award. Uh, so, you know, Penn State, I, it's a projection that I make at 9.2. The over 8.5 is juiced to minus 125. And there are things happening in the stat sheet and with the coaching staff that just give me a little bit of pause. James Franklin uh, sweeping in to get Mike Yuricich because he was on the market and, and firing Kirk Soraka after, you know, getting him from Minnesota, kind of taking him out of Minnesota's mix. Uh, in a COVID season where, you know, Sirocco was, you know, dealt with <laughs> Sean Clifford and, you know, fixed this and started off 0-5. and 5. And, you know, I, I think Franklin is, he knew that he wanted Mike Uricich and now that he's got him, and if you're not familiar with who that is, uh, this is a, an offensive coordinator that made Oklahoma State what you remember it being, which is extremely explosive and extremely successful. Mike Uricich moved on, uh, you know, I think he had a stint at Ohio State. The, the guy is going to fix offenses. And I think the big thing about the Nittany Lions is, is there are things that happen, you know, outside of the football field that you just, you know, the loss of running back Noah Kane, the loss of Journey Brown, you know, some losses on the offensive line itself. A sack rate of 87th, uh, you know, highlights an offensive line that had issues protecting Clifford and, and new and the backup Will Levis, who, who's left the program. Uh, Noah Kane does return to the backfield. That's a huge weapon you know, along with some depth from the transfer portal that they got it on offense, they can get it back going. And Mike, Irisich such as the offensive coordinator to do it. The defense I'm i mean, a little question about. I mean, Brent pride. It, it seems like the defensive coordinator who, who's, who's been with Franklin forever since I think 2011 at Vanderbilt. Uh, it just seems like things are going in the wrong direction. Mika Parsons is now a Dallas Cowboy, Ellis Brooks and, and Jesse Lakeda rise up from the depth chart as the top tacklers from last season. Uh, the issue with Brooks and Lakeda is the, just the lack of havoc. There was no havoc out of the players that are returning to this defense. They recorded just seven tackles for loss and one sack. That is not Penn State defense that I'm used to. Uh, The secondary returns two starters over the middle, but they got to improve at the corner position. Uh, The opponents just racked up explosive plays through the air. They had a coverage rank of 76th per PFF. Uh, it's one of the worst that Franklin's ever had. And, and Brent Pry. And the, I, I'm not sure what's going on on the defensive side of the ball. The schedule is brutal. Wisconsin and Iowa, while Ohio State draws, you know, cross competition against Nebraska and Purdue, all hopes of, you know, winning the East resides on a trip to Columbus, but you got to win the rest of your games and it's just not doable. So, you know, I project them at 9.1. There's coin flips, I said, you know, against Iowa. Then there's a coin flip against Auburn. You know, there's plenty of points on the schedule that are rising. Rutgers in year two of Greg Shiano will get there. Uh, Illinois uh, is going to force a ground attack on you with Brett Bielema. So if you're such can correct the offensive line and probably can get the havoc back on the defense, then yes, this is an over eight and a half. But there's not a lot of room for error here with a schedule this tough. And the big question mark, of course, we'll go back to it. Sean Clefford, at quarterback, got to get him fixed. I thought that they were probably was going to be gone uh, with Franco
1: making wholesale changes because of what that defense did last year. They allowed 27.7 points per game, most in school history. You mentioned the lack of playmaking, only nine takeaways and 21 sacks for the whole year. Now it's a whole new defensive line, some reshuffling the linebacker position. So I do have questions about the defense Look, it's, it's a tough schedule too. Those three really tough road games and you can't slip up anywhere else. You can't slip up against Indiana at home. You can't slip up against Michigan at home uh, unless you steal one of those road games against Iowa, Wisconsin, or Ohio State. And then look, you got to go to Maryland, a much improved Maryland team who we'll get to. I ultimately think the number is spot on at over eight and a half minus 125. Uh, so nothing, with, nothing for Penn State for me. All right, and then let's move on to Indiana. Over... Eight in total, uh, over seven and a half at some spots, plus 115, 120. You can find some eights out there as well. The big question here is, look, you're hearing is Indiana now football school. It's like, all right, we can can, can relax a little bit. He's 24-22 over five years. Now, they're trending in the right direction. They were 6-2 and last year. Uh, And the big question is going to be at Phoenix, their quarterback, Michael Phoenix, who's back from another injury. He's had three seasons that he's played, three season-ending injuries. And last year he tore the same ACL he tore back in 2018. Uh, so questions with Phoenix's health because behind him it's pretty pedestrian. He's 10-2 and two as a starter uh, during his tenure in Bloomington. So there's a, a lot of hope if he can stay healthy what this Indiana team can do because their defense should be excellent. This is arguably a top-10 defense. Uh, You lose Johnson at the safety position, but you bring Ball back at that Husky position. It's just a loaded group with a lot of experience. New defensive coordinator, but I don't think they'll change much on the defensive side. Offense, you do have to worry about replacing a center and one of your most reliable possession receivers. The running game has been just meh. Can you get that going? I mean, they were 124th in rush explosiveness last year. Just no explosiveness from the rushing attack to help out Phoenix in that department. The question is with Indiana, it's a brutal, brutal schedule. I mean, here's their away games are, and and I'll I'll tell you right up front, Indiana under is one of my favorite. If you can get eight, eight juice, one of my favorite totals. I'm right at about seven. And the schedule is just brutal. I look seven and five for Indiana this year. You could finish in the top 25 and it could be a successful season just because the schedule is, and that's assuming Phoenix stays healthy, which isn't necessarily a given, but at Penn state, They get Ohio State at home, but Ohio State's off of a bye. I mean, those four games right there could easily lose all four. Then you're talking at Michigan, at Maryland. No gimmies. Let's even throw in at Purdue, a rivalry game to close the year. How about Trap City at Western Kentucky? Western Kentucky off of a bye. Meanwhile, Indiana will be coming off the game against Cincy with Penn State the week after. I mean, that's not an easy trip. That is flat trap look ahead city. So right there, I mean, those are what at Maryland at Michigan at Purdue at Western Kentucky in a bad spot at Penn state at Iowa, Cincy and Ohio state. I mean, that's eight games that if you told me they lost any one of them, I would not be shocked. So I'm closer to seven. I'm going to go under eight, especially for a team that last year ran extremely well in the turnover department. I think there's some regression coming there also in the red zone on both sides of the ball. So I think that there's some regression coming for this group. The defense will be excellent. It'll keep them in most games. Uh, but I think that this is a likely a seven-win team, and which would be a successful season given their schedule. What do you see with the Hoosiers?
2: Well, considering it's Indiana football, uh, yeah, that would be very successful. But I think expectations have been elevated a little bit for a program that is very much known for their basketball. You did a great job of handicapping Indiana. I'm in complete 100% agreeance. Uh, I wouldn't even mind playing under seven and a half at, at, at plus 110. Uh, works for me. So I project this at seven, but there's just other things that really bother me about this team and, and some of the things that came out of their numbers from last year. You know, they lost two points of power rating in their offseason uh, power rating for me for second order win total, indicating that there was a bit of luck in that record of six and two they finished plus eight in net turnovers through eight games. And you mentioned that turnover regression is coming, but it's really interesting to look. If you look at the turnover battle in each individual game, the games that they won the turnover battle, they won. The games that they lost the turnover battle, they lost against Ohio state and Ole Miss in the bowl game. So Penn state, Michigan, Maryland, they all finished with more total yards than Indiana, but still lost the game because they lost the turnover battle. So there's just a lot of indicators here with Indiana that say that you cannot do as well as you just did. Am I a big fan of being 13th in havoc on defense? Sure. Top 10 in defensive finishing drive. Sure. But they're, you know, I the offense did not provide any rush explosiveness whatsoever. 98th in rushing success rate. Moving the chains is a real problem, and it's all dependent on their quarterback. Now he loses his top wide receiver target, his top leading, you know, target. Miles Marshall is now the home run hitter and a stable of targets for Michael Penix Jr. Assuming he's healthy to start the season. Now he did get up to the podium at Big Ten media days. I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. But what's he going to get up there and say? Like, I'm still in pain. Uh, The sophomore quarterback, you know, confirmed that he's going to be good to go at Kinnick. But that is not an easy start to the season going to face the Iowa defense. Uh, you know, Indiana finished outside the top 90 and success rate on both sides of the ball. And you're right, the changes won't change. Tom Allen's in control of that defense, no matter if they have a new coordinator. You know, they averaged just 2.5 points to teams, to opponents that made it past the 40-yard line. I think that's sustainable. I think it's just that the turnovers, uh, you know, the number of successful drives on offense, uh, you know, missing out on their biggest target. The biggest hole for to plug for Tom Allen's defense is line yards and stuff rate. They had ranks in the bottom 20, uh, which is a little bit shocking to me when I look at their advanced stats. I mean, they're top 50 in almost everything and 13th in defensive havoc, but you're 113th in line yards and 117th in stuff rate, meaning teams can run on you all day. That doesn't make Illinois an easy win if they're just going to run the ball all the time and you're outside the top 100 in these advanced rushing stats. So. Boy, and you mentioned Western Kentucky. Holy cow! You're going to turn this into a Bailey Zappy uh, Hilltopper podcast because that's all I want to talk about. But there are games on this schedule. I am not in favor of Indiana winning. Iowa, Cincinnati, Maryland, who we're going to talk about, I think is on the rise. Uh, Michigan is not garbage. Uh, you know, Minnesota and, and Purdue all represent games with projected lines within four points of a pick. So with that many coin flips, a game like Week One against Iowa is crucial to the win total. So considering the Indiana secondary can handle Spencer Petras. I would say if you can win that game against Iowa, you're on your way to getting it over, but I'm just not confident in this team whatsoever. So I, I'm siding with you on the under. I haven't won nine games since
1: 1967, but I mean, look, the defense is going to keep them in games. It's They're going to be there. And I mean, they have a top 10 secondary, I think. You know, Taiwan Mullen is excellent. And Jalen Williams, a great corner duo, but uh, I just think this number is too high. That's the kind of the challengers in the East. Uh, Let's get to the rest. Uh, I'll let you uh, take this one. Michigan over seven and a half minus 120. This is Jim Harbaugh year seven. Uh, Just changes uh, on defense. Don Brown is now gone. You're going to see them move to a different defensive scheme. On offense, it's Gattis again, the pro spread, no huddle, oh, year three, can they find a quarterback? Questions abound. The one thing, one positive thing, not many I can say, for for Michigan, and their win total, over 7.5 minus 120. They were dead last in experience last year. So that, you know, if you think, all right, this was one of the youngest teams in in, in regards to experience – in the nation last year, maybe there's a jump this year in, in certain positions. I think even the biggest Michigan fan out there would say that this, if everything went right this year, and it hasn't in a long time, this ceiling is nine and three. Like they got Ohio State at home. We know they can't beat Ohio State. They're at Penn State and they're at Wisconsin. Like that is where you're starting for your ceiling. If everything goes right. So yeah, you know, if you like this over, you don't have much room. For error, uh, I kind of lean under here with Michigan. I'd still Michigan. I, th- I think that there's still some inflation because of the name Michigan. Uh, I'm right around seven, but I'll let you take uh, Bowdog Jim
2: and your thoughts on the Wolverines. <laughs> it's really interesting. I guess it kind of depends on how old you are as a person. If you're a Gen Z or if you're a Zoomer, uh, then you're probably pretty used to this kind of Michigan team. If you're a Gen Xer or a Millennial. Think about what you've gone through in the last 15 years. I mean, you've gone from a national title contender to a Big Ten contender to a team that has lost four straight ball games. Jim Harbaugh fielded a two and four team that mercifully didn't have to play Ohio State last year. Uh, The defense ranked 110th in finishing drives and 120th in havoc. That is not Michigan football and not what we saw like three years ago. Uh, So, you know, we're having a little bit of an identity crisis and things are not going in the right way. But if this is a stock market, and you want to buy the dip. The question is, is, is this the dip? Uh, and, I, you know, the Wolverines returned 70% of their defense. They just had five and a half tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. I, am, I, am I reading that for one player? No, I'm reading that for the team. Linebacker and nose tackle have fresh faces on the secondary that returns pieces that were torched a, a, a last season. A coverage rank is 76th is in combination with ranks outside the top 100 pass explosiveness and finishing drives on defense opponents are scoring at will. They are moving the ball at will. And I, and there needed to be a change of defensive coordinator, but is that going to solve everything? Uh, You know, we have 70% of the defense returning, Uh, you know, McDonald, the new defensive coordinator comes in from the Baltimore Ravens. It's funny. The, the John to Jim Harbaugh uh, move here, but uh, McDonald has stated that we want to be multiple. We're going to go three, four, we're going to go four, three, we're going to go six, one. And I'm thinking to myself, you just finished 120th in defensive havoc and you're going to go in and put this playbook on these kids and they're supposed to pick up the blitz and there's going to be missed assignments. I, whether they can learn the scheme, it's like, you know, Dave Aranda goes into Baylor and he's got 18 different variations of how he's running the three, four or a two, five, you know, whatever, two, five, five. You expect these kids to pick it up on day one. I just don't think it works that way, especially with the defense that has been trending this direction. Um, So, you know, that remains to be seen offensively. I mean, Joe Milton's gone, Dylan McCaffrey in, transferred out, leaves Cade McNamara and Texas Tech's transfer Alan Bowman. I mean, you and I kidded on uh previous podcast that Alan Bowman, you know, was the hot route quarterback because he, he was firing to his first look. But he was doing that because he was always injured, punctured long hospital time. I mean, I'd be throwing the ball as quick as I could also. So it'd be interesting to see what Alan Bowman can do. Behind an offensive line that went 18th and havoc allowed. That's a great number. 25th and offensive finishing drives. Dude, hopefully they can put some points up on the board. But Milton's accuracy needed to go. Uh, McNamara had limited action last year. Biggest stat that sticks out for me is turnover worthy plays. Of 72 dropbacks during 2020, the red the redshirt freshman logged just one turnover worthy play. If you're looking to buy the dip on a Josh Gaddis offense, you want a kid that had 72 dropbacks and just one turnover worthy play. That's the kind of stability that this offense needs. Now, I've double-checked the numbers. I mean, my win projection is six. That's not a misprint if you go to Action Network and look at all of our win totals for every single college football team. I'm very low on this team. There's a new defensive coordinator. There's no Havoc experience returning whatsoever. There's a new scheme. There's turnover at the skill positions on offense, quarterback, Uh, you know, coin flip games or spreads of six or less, right? When I say coin flip games, it means a spread of six or less, and that includes games against... Washington, Nebraska, Indiana, Maryland. Uh, a double-digit spread against Rutgers. I'm not really sure Rutgers is the carpet of this league. You can just walk all over anymore. Uh, channel has got them rolling in the right direction. So the ceiling for this team is nine wins. There's a high probability that Harbaugh finishes with six or seven, and that makes this an underplay for me. I'm, I'm sticking to my mathematics. And, you know, we do this every summer. When we cut our podcast. if you have a huge scheme change like this, and you have skill positions. You have to be explosive in college football. You have to be able to put points up on the board. And if you can't do either of those things, you're going to get trounced. And I just think Michigan is in the spot where they're not going to get date eight wins. Do not disagree with you there. Let's stay in the
1: Great Lakes State and go to Michigan State. Sparty win total over five minus 115. Look, Mel Tucker was put in an almost impossible situation last year. Uh, After D'Antonio left and the recruiting under D'Antonio at the end of his tenure was really starting to dwindle. You know, it was ugly. Michigan State's the the offense in particular. 122nd in success rate, 125th in rush explosiveness. The O-line was bad. The quarterback play was poor. 19.6% turnover rate. That's second worst in FBS. Just nothing really went right on the offensive side of the ball. Is... You know, Anthony Russo, the answer, the Temple transfer. Is it Peyton Thorne? I'm not sure, but there's a lot of questions on offense. Outside of Naylor and Reed, they have promise at wide receiver. They do bring in Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest at running back, but there's questions on this offense. And then on defense, and look, just what is going on with Michigan State. Now, there's a ton of people, ton of players left via the transfer portal. They also brought a lot in, and they're going to be very reliant on transfers on the defensive side of the ball where they have to replace three stars, one on each level. You know, Brown at corner, Simmons at linebacker, and Jones at defensive tackle. So there's a lot of work for Mel Tucker here. Uh, like I said, win total is over five minus 115. If, you know, you – and they allowed – what they allowed? thirty Over 35 points per game last year, most in school history. If you believe – now, some of that you're going to hear that stat because they played a conference-only schedule – but the defense just wasn't getting it done. The just didn't help them at all. If you believe in Anthony Russo and you think he's the savior, maybe you like this over five. It's uh, not something I want to get involved with. What do you see
2: with Sparty? Well, the handicap starts with Rocky Lombardi has moved on to Northern Illinois. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, that's it. That's the cap. No, I, I mean, Anthony, Anthony Russo coming in from Temple, you have to go back to his 2019 numbers because of last season. And, you know, he has a really big arm. He had 21 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He can get himself in trouble with some of the decisions he makes, but he can hit Michigan state wide receivers down the field, something Rocky Lombardi never had a chance of doing. So there is a new element to the Michigan state offense. So we do have to recognize that especially when they have ranks that are below 120. And I, I mean, I'm staring at Havoc allowed 120th line yards, 124th, uh, <laughs> finishing drives under 20 is bad. It's all red. Uh, but you know, Rocky Lombardi out and Anthony Russo in means that they're going to be, be able to make big time throws. Are there going to be interceptions still? Of course at the pace of Rocky Lombardi, I'm not sure because I I've never seen a kid just so turnover prone. Uh, I mean, we've seen a few and we're, we haven't even got to the G5 podcast yet. So you know, we'll see what they can do on offense, but the Spartans' rank of 120th and havoc allowed, uh, you know, that may be the floor here. We'll see if if what they bring back in the two deep on the offensive line can correct some of that. Defense coordinator Scott Hazelton came in from Kansas State. We thought that he was going to fix everything on defense, uh, and still, you know, he didn't get them up off the mat. I think what's interesting about this team, what makes them hard to handicap. I know in the in the ACC preview, we talked about how Pitt was able to win games as underdogs and they were able to blow things as favorites last year. You know, beating Michigan, number, Michigan was ranked number 13 at the time in the second week of the year, beat them and then beat Northwestern later on in the season. Northwestern was out of its mind, out of control playing in the Big Ten championship last year. So, pretty impressive stuff for Michigan State to be able to, you know, turn around and get those wins. So, listen, I think the defense is going to continue to get better. I think the upgrade from Lombardi to Russo is good, but this is a defensive minded coach with a defensive coordinator still struggling for answers with an offense that is looking to protect. Their quarterback. He's going to make mistakes. You know, the projection for me on this team is 4.45. So the only play is an under five. Uh, that is at Bet MGM. Over, uh, over five is minus 115. Under would be minus 105. So that's the only play to make. But I'm not in a rush to go and, and fade this team, especially when you're only two wins last year. We're against number 11 and number 13. That gives me pause to think hey, they could pull something off here in this conference. Moving on to another team in that group of
1: the rest in the East, Maryland. Are you ready? You want the noise brought
0: on you? Because here it comes. Yes! Crab cakes and football! That's what Maryland does!
1: Maryland, over 5.5, minus 145. Haven't had a winning record in a decade at Maryland. But this is, look, Mike Loxley, it's year three. But he brought in a brand new staff. Yeah, But the recruiting is also up. I mean, some of the recruits that they're bringing in, I, it has to give Maryland fans some hope about where this football team is headed. You bring Tagolo back, at quarterback. The problem with this offense is it is so – and you could look at some of their results last year. They would lose by 40, or they would win and score – they would only score three, and then they would score 50. Just very hit or miss, up and down, inconsistent. Not a lot of efficiency, but a lot of explosiveness. A ton of talent at the receiver position that they've brought in. Can Dan Enos, who I don't <laughs> know, don't, we're not the biggest fans of, increase that efficiency? You know, you're probably going to see more play action, more screens uh, out of the offense this year. And then on defense, the past defense had a lot of promise last year and, and has a lot of potential. Can some of their highly touted recruits, Terrence Lewis, for example, a five-star linebacker, can they step in and contribute on the defensive side of the ball uh, for Maryland? It's a team with a lot of potential and a high – ceiling this year. If things go right, because of the amount of talent they have, can the, the, are the scheme changes a positive or do they hold them back? They need to get more consistent, more efficient. But if you look at their schedule, you know, for their first five are at home, that's a good thing when you're trying to implement some changes, build some momentum. And I'd argue all but one, all but one of their games are winnable, you know, like besides Ohio state, would it shock you if I told you, they won any other game on their schedule? No, absolutely you know, not. You know, again, it's a very Jekyll and Hyde team. You know, they're starting at home against West Virginia. Not an easy game. You know, you, got, you, but you get Iowa at home. You know, you get Indiana at home. You get Penn State at home. So your road game, you get Michigan at home. Your road games in conference are Michigan State, Rutgers, Minnesota, uh, Illinois, outside of Ohio State. So very favorable schedule. You get your toughest opponents at home uh, and your easiest opponents on the road. Maryland, over 5.5, minus 145. What do you got with the Turks?
2: I, I, I'm i buying them. I'm, I project them at 6.1. Uh, obviously, this thing is juicing up, and maybe Maryland will get to 6 at some point. But, I mean, that's the goal of this team, of Mike Loxley, is to get to a bowl game. And hopefully, with Dan Enos coming into town, he plays more of a clipboard holder, maybe helps out with the quarterback, similar to what he did at Alabama when Loxley was the offensive coordinator and Dan Enos was there to – I don't know. Hopefully, fetch water. But uh, I, I mean, Loxley should be calling the plays. It's going to be the system that he ran at Alabama with two Tagovailoa. So he's going to be doing the Talia Tagovailoa here. So, you know, it, I it didn't give me pause that Enos is there because I know Loxley is the one in charge of this. And I think it's important to note that this defense returns ninety six percent of its production last year. Uh, I know that they were 114th in finishing drives. They gave everything away when teams got past the 40-yard line, but they were 45th in defensive success rate. That means that they did stop the chains more often than not, and that is something to build on. Lots of explosive players on this team, especially on offense. Uh, big piece being wide receiver Dante Demas. Uh, the defense, you know, they're, they've got playmakers too, and you mentioned the schedule. To me, there's four games where they should win. Rutgers, Illinois, Howard, Kent State. Uh, Kent State has zero defense. I love their offense, but they have zero defense. Uh, you know, Illinois is a team that likes to rush the ball, but Maryland's going to be able to stop that. Illinois will have no passing attack whatsoever. And then there's Michigan State on the schedule, a game where Maryland should be about minus five and a half to minus six against another winnable game. And then a handful of these games are at home. So they're primed for upset. They're short dogs against Indiana, Minnesota. West Virginia is all defense. We don't think they're going to get much on offense there. So there is a lot of ways to get this win total to six. And they end the season against Rutgers. If they're sitting on five wins, that's plenty of motivation to get to bowl season. And they're facing Rutgers. It's not like they're facing Ohio State or Penn State or somebody big. It's it's a win total you can hedge yourself out of. And that's what we like to look for here. And that's what we give with Maryland. So, yeah, I am over five and a half. I take a pause at six. But I do love the explosiveness on this team. I do love everything they return on defense. They get some success rate on both sides of the ball, especially on offense. Uh, they they could be a little dangerous. Maybe they'll move up from uh, the bottom three teams and into the top four teams in, the, in their division. Speaking of Rutgers, to close out the East, over four minus 105. Uh, look, they
1: ended a 20. Greg Schiano's there. I think he's going to turn this program around get it back to where, you know, just at least respectability. It's going to take some time. They ended a 21-game Big Ten losing streak last year and went three and six. Which is really good for where this Rutgers team was, you know, two three years ago. They were, you know, three and six with three one possession losses. But this is a team that I think was a bit lucky last year due to you know a lot of trick plays, turnover luck, and dominant special teams. And their special teams will be good again, but I just think all of those things are probably unsustainable. The defense has some players. You know, I like their corners and Young and Avery. They had Renee from UNC. Fado is a studded linebacker at 100-plus tackles last year. And they could start 3-0, like get some momentum at Rutgers. They open at Temple at home, at Syracuse, and then home against Delaware. So with a total of four, you'd be sitting in a good spot if you get 3-0. And, you know, you probably have to then beat a, a Maryland to close the year, a Michigan State at home, you know, or you're going to have to steal one on the road at Northwestern or, or at Illinois. So it won't be easy, but that'll help you. you really got to get off to a fast start if you're Rutgers. But I, you know, I think that there's, yeah, you know, the recruiting's improving. Chiano has this headed in the right direction. Gleason is back as an offensive coordinator. Why is that important? Before last year, we're going into last year. Gleason was their 11th offensive coordinator in 11 years. So they finally have at least some some stability. But the offense, I think, is it's still a mess to me. The defense is has, has some problems. They were top 20 last year in tackles for loss and turnovers. I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to duplicate you know, the trick plays, the turnovers, you know, we remember that Michigan state game as good of special teams play as last year. This is a pass team for me. I think Shano has it headed in the right direction, uh, but it's going to take some time. What do you see with Rutgers?
2: Yeah, it's a pass team for me too. At 4.6 for their projected win total. Uh, you know, it, there's, it's all moving in a positive direction. And the fact that they were able to get as many wins last year speaks to The power, the great move they did to go back and get Shiano, have him come in, in in-state recruiting, and I think one of the best moves he made was to go down and say, hey, Sean Gleason, you were once the highest scoring coach in FCS at Princeton, uh, and you went down to Stillwater, why don't you come up and be my offensive coordinator? And, you know, uh, coming back to New Jersey, that, that was a pretty easy decision for Gleason. Uh, And, you know, I think the reason that you use a bunch of trick plays or you move the pocket is because you just don't have the talent to just line up and run it down people's throats. And, you know, Rutgers played extremely hard. There is a lot about Rutgers in Arkansas that remind me so much of each other. Their advanced splits are outside the top 100 and everything, but they play hard for their coach. They believe in the direction that they're going. And now they have Noah Vedrill and he's got to increase his efficiency. Uh, Rutgers was 108th in passing success rate. Uh, But he ended the season with more touchdowns than interceptions. That is a massive upgrade for some of the quarterbacks they've had in the past. And if you look at some of the numbers, like the zones that he threw to, he had a better passing grade in 39 attempts over 20 yards than the 93 attempts that he had between zero and nine yards. So it's really uh, you can expect Rutgers to be able to complete some big explosive plays to people like Bo Melton, who uh, leads upperclassmen receivers and, there could be a push in expected points with these guys on offense. Now, Shiano's known for his defense, uh, you know, defensive coordinator at Ohio State for three years, uh, you know, previously here at Rutgers. Uh, they improved a little bit across the board, but, I mean, they got 90% of their defense coming back. The front seven is led by linebackers. Futukasi, uh, Tyson Fogg, the edge Mike Tevredov combined for 18 tackles for loss and eight sacks. Any opponent on the schedule that is run-based and cannot go downfield may have issues against the Rutgers front seven. Uh, The win total, you know, like we said, set at five. I'm just a little shade under that, so there's really no play here for me. But there's a case I can make that they take a step forward. The schedule includes Temple and Delaware, games where Rutgers will be favored by double digits. Two other games are coin flips, Michigan State and Syracuse. I mean, for Rutgers to get over the win total, they're going to need underdog wins against Illinois, Maryland, and Michigan State. And then when you sit there and consider that, You know, the Terrapins and the Spartans have plenty of skill on the outside. uh, And the Rutgers secondary, it it may be tough to make a case that they can get to six wins. Now, with Illinois, I think they can beat them because Illinois is going to be one-dimensional and run the ball more than anybody else. Uh, And that goes to the skill set of the Rutgers defense. So I think five is the right number. Uh, We're still heading in a a positive direction. This isn't a team we just can't line up and bet against every week anymore. I, I think Shiano's got them going in the right direction. They continue on that path.
1: Yeah, the, the recruiting class for 2022 looks really promising for Rutgers. I think they got a hard commit from Gavin Wimsat, a quarterback uh, out of actually down by me in Owensburg, Kentucky. Uh, I think he's the top 10, he's a four star top 10 uh, quarterback in the class uh, for next year. So he does not guarantee that it'll go there. But and the class overall looks great. So it's heading in the right direction. Vedral has been better than some of the quarterbacks that they've had, with like Art Sikowski and, and some of those uh, clowns but uh, it's still the position that's going to hold them back until they get, you know, one of these big quarterback recruits that sticks. And they might have one on the way. All right, let's move over to the West. The way that I kind of tier the West, the contenders are Wisconsin and Iowa next tiers, Minnesota, Northwestern, Nebraska, and then kind of your meh are Purdue and Illinois. And there's not that much difference between the next and the man. This has been a division that has produced surprise winners over the past few years a lot of times it ends up being Northwestern, but let's start at the top with Wisconsin and Iowa. Paul Chris back for year seven and Kirk Ferentz back for year 23, I believe. So you have some coaches that have been here for a while. Chris did make some staff changes here. I hope he'll be the quarterback coach. He'll call plays. Hopefully they can just produce some more explosive plays. They're 127th in the nation in 30-plus yard plays. But a lot of that, look, they were crushed by COVID last year, Wisconsin. And Graham Mertz, quarterback, was he healthy? No. How much better will he be being healthy? That's a question we have to answer. Um, Iowa gets Petrus back at quarterback. Both defenses uh, should be very good. What do you see at the top of the West Division in the Big Ten? Uh, By the way, Iowa over over 8.5 minus 105, and Wisconsin over 9.5 minus
2: 125. Yeah, Wisconsin. I make nine point nine, so over nine and a half is where the lean would be. And then with Iowa, I'm actually a little bit under that at seven point seven. And and really, that game, Iowa goes to visit Wisconsin, and really, you have to you have to ask yourself: Do you believe? Are you just going to read the stats and believe the stats that you saw from Wisconsin last year, or are you going to go look a little bit between the lines and, and and see how excellent they were against Illinois in the opener, especially Graham Mertz, and then? COVID played a factor. The offensive line, you know, had to deal with that. There was injuries in there, especially to Graham Mertz. And that would explain why Jalen Berger was, you know, averaging a mass ton of carry, uh, highlight yards and yards after contact, and then, you know, completely fell off the map. I, b- I believe he averaged over 5.13 yards after contact against Michigan, and that number came down when the offensive line started to get their toll. So, you know, Berger has the burst, and Mertz has the arm, but I think if you just purely stare at the stats from last season, you'd think, "Oh, Wisconsin fell off a cliff. They they must be having some regression, and they're going to come back to the pack." I kind of think the opposite. I think COVID and everything that had to do with the you know with with college football in general and life in general with the pandemic, everything just kind of piled on top of Wisconsin. And and you know when <laughs> making the Duke's Mayo Bowl was a really big deal to them, and uh, I think they they overcame a lot of stuff off the field, and it showed in how much they loved being at Duke's Mayo Bowl and celebrating uh after the win so you know with the exception of corner and, and they have their their receivers were hurt too the,
1: the davis and hey, prior were out yeah. this year their seniors and like this is and this, you could say the same when we get to iowa this is a development team that's well coached have a have a coach that's been there forever they're a development team right they value the spring they value developing players and having players there for a long time they missed that last year and in yeah. the case of Iowa, you know, you saw them really come on strong at the end of the year. I think they won six straight to close, close the year. But go, ahead, go back to the Badgers.
2: Well, I, I, think, the, I think the difference between the, the, the love for Wisconsin versus I like Iowa. <laughs> they're in the friendship zone. Is, is the fact that, you know, Wisconsin loses just, you know, one player, Rashad Wild Goose, going to the Bills. Uh, besides that, Wisconsin's defense remains completely intact uh, you know, over 83%. And this is, uh, you know, a unit that is very high in success rate year in and year out, even last year. I mean, they, they carried the water for Wisconsin last year, the offense couldn't, couldn't move the chains for anything. So, but when you pivot over to Iowa, it's a different story, right? We've lost a lot in the front seven, uh, for a team that is generally defensive based they're good in every unit, but they do lose a lot in the front seven. And that makes me a little bit nervous. I do love Spencer Petras as a quarterback. I mean, absolutely. The guy, uh, you know, he returns for his sophomore season. Uh, he has a huge arm. I'm not sure Iowa has the explosive playmakers on the outside to make the big plays for him now that they have lost some of their top targets. Uh, you know, the, the tight ends will be good. Uh, he'll be supported. Petrus will be supported by two other sophomore running back, Tyler Goodson and tight end Sam Laporta, but they lose uh some key players on offense. And Spencer Petrus may take the next step. And his, he's definitely got a cannon for an arm, but who's going to be there to catch these 20-plus-yard passes? Um, his quarterback rating, I, I think what else is interesting is when you're handicapping Iowa this year, I won't get too deep into it, but Spencer Petrus on deep right corner past 20 yards was impeccable, flawless. He couldn't hit his blind side past 20 yards. He couldn't hit in between the hashes. All four touchdowns that were explosive plays came deep right zone. And the reason why I mentioned that is there are teams that have shut down corners that play on either, you know, one side of the field and that's all they play. So keep that in mind when you're handicapping Iowa individual games. Take a look at their corners and specifically look who plays on the right side of the field because Petrus's number on the right was fantastic. So like I said about the defense, you know, they were 12th in coverage uh, ranking in PFF. I expect that to continue because that's just how they coach their teams. Uh, They were top five national rank in defensive EPA. They keep everything in front of you so you can't get really some big bombs on them. And the beef of the defensive front seven has moved on. Like I said, Chauncey Golston, Nick Neiman, uh, those are big losses for me. So I am on the Iowa under. I don't think they beat Wisconsin for the division. Uh, You know, I still think that they're going to be fantastic against some of their other teams. I put them above, you know, Indiana. I, I put them above uh, you know, some of the teams on their schedule from Iowa State to Wisconsin to Penn State. I think Iowa is going to do some damage here. It's just not going to be against Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, and Wisconsin has all of their tough games at home. I mean, Wisconsin's road games this year are at Illinois. their true road games at Illinois, at Purdue, at Rutgers, and at Minnesota. That is it. They have four true road games. Now, they also play Notre Dame in Chicago, but that's their four true road games. They get all their tough games at home. I mean, if I want to Kind of, if I wanted to tout for Iowa, they only had six practices last year. They're the fifth youngest team and they almost went undefeated. They lost their final six. Their only two losses were by five total points and they blew leads late. But it's a tough schedule this year. They get Iowa, they get Indiana and Penn State out of the East and they play at Wisconsin, which is what I think is going to ultimately decide this division. The defense, they did lose a lot in the front seven, either they were so young. They've gone 22 straight games, by the way, allowing 25 points or fewer. That's the longest current streak in FBS. I do have also questions about the offensive line. They've lost a lot on the offensive line over the past two years. Now, I know Linderbaum's one of the best centers in the country, and Ferrance usually just gets, he was an ex NFL, he was an ex offensive line coach in the NFL. He usually just gets these guys up to speed and finds offensive linemen. But I don't know if the offensive line is going to be as good as it has been in recent years. They, they lost some talent on the outside as well. Uh, I'm a little higher on Iowa than you, but not for an overplay. I have a play on the division that I'll get to later on. Let's get to the second tier in the West, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Nebraska Northwestern over six and a half minus one Oh five. Uh, it's too high for me, way too high for me, but I, I don't want any part of the under will maybe, maybe I'll find a way to play. Against them and Pat Fitzgerald in year 16. It makes me feel old that he's been there for 16 years. Uh just signed a 10-year contract, I believe. But they've lost a ton, they lost as much as anybody in the country. It's one of the lowest returning productions in the nation. But this is the team that just always overperforms. They just find ways to voodoo a couple games. So I'm not tying up my money on a Northwestern Under, even though I like it, but they have a lot of questions. Uh, on both sides of the ball they were the number two most experienced team last year and they lose a ton I mean you lose two of the three Irish law firm linebackers lose your top four wide receivers I mean it goes on and on and on they do avoid the top three out of the east and they get Iowa at home it's one of the reasons you're seeing six and a half out there but I have a lot of questions about this northwestern team but they find ways to ugly up games and win talking about Nebraska Scott Frost Questions about this offense. Adrian Martinez, can this offense and Scott Frost find it? Maybe there's a resurrection of the black shirt, D. There's some potential on this defense. Over six, minus 120 for Nebraska. And finally, in that kind of second tier in the West, Minnesota, over seven, minus 110. P.J. Fleck, can he row the boat with the Gophers? Tanner Morgan is back.
0: Tanner Morgan!
1: Didn't have a great year in 2020. They've lost uh, some a lot of talent at the wide receiver position over the past two years. Lots of questions for Minnesota as well. So this is, the, this is a, a very interesting tier in the West to me of Minnesota, Northwest, and Nebraska, because I've heard interesting cases of people being high and low on each of them. So where do you
2: stand? Uh, take it where you want to go. Yeah, I don't like any of these three teams, but, uh, you know, I think two of them are actionable. One of them's a a stay away for me. And I'll start with Northwestern at six and a half. I mean, this is a projection that I make at 4.4. But, oh, does Pat Fitzgerald like to make me look bad and take money out of my pocket? Every time you count these guys out, Fitzgerald's got something up his pocket. And, uh, you know, I think what's interesting about this offense is they're going from a dink and dunk style with Peyton Ramsey to an extreme dink and dunk style with Ryan Helensky. Uh, The South Carolina import had just six snaps last year, but if you go back to 2019, 236 pass completions, only 40 of them went longer than nine yards. I will repeat that because when I read this, I was like, this can't be true. 236 pass completions in 2019, 40 of them were longer than nine yards. The top four targets from 2020 have moved on from Northwestern and the offensive front that ranked 120th in line yards uh, is still there. And Northwestern has... 28% 28% returning on offense. So it's just not a good look for me, right? Even if you have explosive players, which they don't, even if you had your offensive line there, which you don't, you have a quarterback and never throws it past nine yards down the field. Big problem. Uh, if you look at the defense, I mean, that was the MVP of 2020, right? Uh, you know, the leading havoc players, Patty Fisher gone key pieces from one of the best secondaries also had their college clock expire. Uh, they have a TARP of 50%. That's transfer activity, returning production combined. Um, you know, the national average is 77%. They're down at 50. I mean, that's a huge problem in the in the year that's going to be called the super senior. So the Wildcats should regress from a finishing drives rank of second and a success rate of 20th. And uh, you know, it's just not, I don't see the winds getting to seven here on the schedule. We've been fooled by Northwestern before. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons why we knocked him down a power rating from second order win total. Uh, you know, just not just the returning experience. Indiana State, that's the only win on the schedule. I mean, it's the only clear-cut win. Uh, is Duke going to come back from the depths? Uh, Ohio and Rutgers, uh, you know, Northwestern will be no greater than a touchdown against those two teams. Uh, I would rather catch Ohio in the first game of the season than later on after they find an identity. Uh, but, you know, Rutgers is a team on the rise with Shiano. So the Wildcats will be underdogs in their final six games. They will be underdogs, clear-cut underdogs. So I don't understand this win total of six and a half when you well, absolutely will go be... six and oh.
1: That means they'll go six and oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah but, and, and so if you go six and O in the first half, you're still going under six and a half. So under six and a half, I played all the way down to five and a half. Uh, I don't think it's getting enough attention. And I think people are still in love with players that have left. And the Ryan Helinski thing that, whew, amazing. But You know, Nebraska is a thing where I'm not going to get deep into the stats. This is really a thing where on two sides of the ball, Adrian Martinez is still playing quarterback and he has not resolved his issues with turning the ball over. And Eric Shenander is still calling a three, four boomer bust defense where they can't get stops. They try to blitz and make big plays happen. They have increased their success rate. They have a better defense. They have players in the secondary and they have players in the front seven. Uh, But, the style of defense worked at Central Florida against group of five teams. It is not translated at Nebraska whatsoever. You can hold your opponents, and you can get stops. You can get some third-down stops, but they still give up some explosive plays. And in the long run, when they're playing Ohio, states of the world, anybody with explosive players, it just hasn't worked. So Nebraska is not a team that I'm aiming to bet on whatsoever. And then we get to Minnesota, a team that you know I'm not going to play against. The Gophers, over 7, minus 110. I mean, they had a defensive dip for the ages in 2020. They ranked 123rd in success rate and 117th in havoc on defense. I mean, this is not the Minnesota defense from a couple years ago, and now they return 87% of that unit. So are they going to improve? Uh, I mean, there has to be – all these numbers are outside the top 100. Sack rate, line yards, uh, just 18 tackles for loss. Like they couldn't even accidentally get into the backfield of their opponents last year. So, you know, of the top tacklers from 2020, 15 of 16 return, is that a good thing? Uh, I mean, that's one thing that I just don't understand is like, yeah, we were, we return a lot, but you didn't get a lot out of these guys last year. And, you know, Joe Rossi is the defensive coordinator. He took over the role in 2018 as an interim before he took the role full time in 2019 and Rossi was given a one-year extension this, this past May. It is a head-scratcher to me. I don't know how you could do your job more poorly and get extended for another year. Uh, It's a P.J. Flex program. So from an offensive perspective, you know, the Gophers dipped with transition from Kirk Soraka to Mike Sanford Jr. That was predictable. We said that last year. Mike Sanford Jr., not a guy to bet on. We have said that for years. Why? He was a part of the Notre Dame staff for a couple of years, where they went all the way down to four and eight. After that, he had, he went to Western Kentucky. He was barely there, barely there long enough to you know to make enough money to pay his rent. He had one year at Utah State. It was their worst year that they had after you know all the Jordan Love and and the Chucky Keaton's and all the success Utah State had. Not there when Mike Sanford was there. Everywhere he has gone, and, I, and this is not—I mean, I'm not going to go deep into the stats. I'll save it for the write-up on Action Network. Everywhere Mike Sanford Jr. has gone as an offensive mind, the success rate has taken a massive dip. The explosiveness has taken a massive dip. He is not getting it done as an offensive coordinator, and for that reason, Minnesota is going to be one-dimensional. Muhammad Ibrahim returns. Uh, you know, the offensive line is massive. He'll get the his offensive yards. line is massive. They're going to run the ball. So you look around. Who can we beat? Well, Minnesota can give Iowa problems because the front seven is missing out a little bit. Uh, you can give anybody that's missing some defensive front seven some problems with you can't beat everybody with just this one single game plan of one dimensional running and Mike Sanford jr. Just ain't going to get it done from a passing perspective. So I I'm out on Minnesota, you know, I mean, the projected win total of 7.6 mathematically says I shouldn't be playing this, but I don't like Mike Sanford jr. And I don't like the offense and I don't like what they don't return. And Joe Rossi getting a one-year extension makes zero sense to me. So prove me wrong, PJ Fleck, take my money out of my pocket, but I'm not taking the over here. And I'm, Strongly considering taking it over. I, I am going to play it under here. I, I don't like Mike Sanford Jr. He's been a moneymaker in the past by fading him, so I'm going to do it again.
1: Yeah, they were an interesting team last year in that they lost two games in overtime because of missed kicks, so they did bring in Trickett from Kent State, which should help their yeah. kicking game, but their opponents went 5 of 14 on field goals, which was the third lowest in FBS, and they should have lost to Purdue on that ridiculous P.I. Remember that offensive P.I. call? that they called in that game. Um, They should have lost that game. Uh, They allowed 6.3 yards per carry last year. Yikes. Uh, They did simplify the D late and it got a little better, but there's a lot of questions on this defense. You're right. They got no no tackles for loss. I just nothing in the backfield.
2: yeah tackle for loss percentage dead last in the nation dead last yeah oh yeah i mean that is something to mention and the year before that i think they were 113th and then last year they went to dead last tackles for loss per game it's just striking to me the whole thing is striking to me what's going on at minnesota uh i think one thing that we need to point out a big handicap of why i want to take the under is look at who they play on their schedule and will they be able to contain the minnesota rushing attack miami of ohio is a must win but they have a top four front seven defense in the MAC. Colorado has the number one ranked linebackers in all of PAC 12. And when you look at their cross division games, Maryland might not have the front seven uh, to handle Minnesota. So Minnesota can get a win there, but Indiana has one of the best front sevens in all of the big 10. So it's just not a schedule where I think they're going to be able to do a whole bunch of damage with this one dimensional offensive attack Colorado, I mean, that's a sneaky play with Colorado and their linebackers. Miami Ohio has a good front seven for who they are. Uh, Indiana, you're just you're not going to be able to run on Indiana's front seven. So, yeah, under here for me. Let's move on to the
1: final two teams uh, in the West. We'll start with Purdue. Purdue over five, minus 120. Jeff Brom, year five, six and 12 the past two years. At least they were in every game last year. They were robbed against Minnesota. New defensive coordinator for the third straight year. My question, they want to be more aggressive. I mean, last year, five sacks for the whole year, five sacks, 125th and sack rate on D, 123rd and explosive play rate allowed. The offense also has no explosiveness. So, you know, you're going to get – they have both their quarterbacks who split time coming back this year in Aiden O'Connell and Jack Plummer. And they're going to be throwing to David Bell, who's excellent. And they're going to have to throw it to him 50 times to get down and score a touchdown. They have to just keep throwing for eight, and then on third downs you have to keep completing. You can't have any mistakes. No explosiveness in offense. New defensive coordinator, new defensive staff, they want to get more aggressive. That's what they're saying, and they need to. Uh, They implemented a 4-3 in spring, so there's some defensive changes. They're going to bring in some transfers to try to help that defense. Just this team overall, it just seems kind of soft. I don't know what their identity is. I mean, is their identity short passes? And like, I, I think, um, and they have five brutal, brutal, brutal road games. You know, you're at Notre Dame, you're at Iowa, you have Wisconsin at home, which was probably a loss. You're at Ohio State. So you're talking about a ceiling of probably seven if everything goes right. You better beat Oregon State and then win at Connecticut to start off 2-0. and But I think if everything goes right you're most likely looking at a team that has five wins heading into the finale at home against Indiana. Um, So, you know, this is a team that has a lot of questions on defense. Their offense is just not – it's not a sustainable way to go up and down the field, especially when you don't have a Rondell Miller and a David Bell. Um, So I think this number is about right. Um, if you like Purdue and you think they're gonna get the bowl eligibility, I think it's probably gonna come down to that Indiana game to end of the year. Thoughts
2: on yeah. the, the Boilermaker? Well, I mean, I'm gonna start off. I, I like I like Purdue football. I like betting on Purdue football. I like watching Purdue offense. We have for years, but uh yeah, you, know, you gotta play a little bit of defense. So I think it's best that I start off there. Brad Lambert slides in as a defensive coordinator role, and he's got plenty to work with. The boilermakers. We're 125th in coverage and 126th in sack rate. Uh, They've created zero pressure. They had zero ability to close the gap on balls in flight. And the Havoc rating of 105th must improve. And there's a good chance of it, if you think COVID had to do with everything, I mean, COVID had a ton of players out from the counting stats, the defensive front seven. I mean, even Jeff Brom himself couldn't coach a game, and his brother had to coach a game for the first time ever. So, I mean, it's just a thing where the team really struggled uh, with the pandemic season. you know, defensive end George Koloftis. Will look to return to form stuck. as it, all all NFL eyes are on him. He's stuck. So, so you know when havoc has come on this side of the ball the last two seasons, it's been in the front seven. But you know, like you said, five sacks in six games is just not going to get it done. But the hiring of Lambert may give us a little bit of reason to think that that's going to change. Last year, at Marshall, the herd finished top ten in plenty of defensive categories: rushing success rate, rush explosiveness, coverage, and second in the nation in tackling. That's right. Marshall last year, of all the teams who played football, defensively finished second in tackling per PFF. That tells me that is a direct correlation to coaching. That is a direct correlation to Brad Lambert. And that's why I'm positive that his 4-3 front uh, is going to be able to stabilize this defense. Uh, He has a little bit of a wrinkle with his 4-3. His weak side defensive end generally stands up and floats around. I know we talked about the bullet position with Ohio State. But Lambert can give a different look. Now, that player is going to be Demarcus Mitchell, who transferred in from Southwest Mississippi Community College before 2020. I think he's a player that gets that hybrid position. And Lambert, in my opinion, from Marshall, is a sneaky good hire. This is somebody, just uh, without even talking about the offense, I think you know betting over five when I projected at six, based on that alone, they're going to come back and and be better on on defense. You're right, David Bell returns. Milton Wright is going to turn heads in college fantasy leagues. And and there's just a set of tight ends here that are going to be able to have big plays. You know, not a lot of success right here for Purdue. But Purdue does have one thing that most teams don't, and that's experience at the quarterback position. Jake, <laughs> Jack Plummer and Aiden O'Connell, they have plenty of experience as backups for a number of years. Uh, they combine for a 25-4 to 4 TD to INT ratio. And it's good news for an offense that has one of the lowest rush rates in the nation at 36%. Jeff Brom wants to throw more than anybody. Uh, you're right, Stock. It's not sustainable. It's exciting. But I see huge – Huge jump on the defensive side of the ball with Brad Lambert. The schedule includes UConn, Northwestern, Michigan State, Illinois. These are all expected wins with spreads seven or less. Uh, UConn may be a little bit higher. Uh, I think coin flips against Minnesota, Nebraska, and Indiana are what's going to determine this win total. But there's just – I'm looking at the schedule. I I don't see how it lands on four, right? I mean, five maybe, but six is where the projection is. And I I think we're not talking enough what Brad Lambert's doing with this – going to do with this defense.
1: My prediction is Purdue beats Indiana to end the season, to get to six wins and bowlers, but if i just play him in that game and it'll help, and then it'll cash my uh, Indiana win total under. And Indiana win total under could still go under even if Indiana wins that game, which is why I'm playing the Indiana win total under. But that's my prediction there. All right, let's close up the Big Ten with your boy, Brett Bielema, and the Illinois fight in the line-eye. Win total over three and a half, minus 130 at at MGM. Obviously, the new staff here, it just wasn't happening with Lovey Smith. Brandon Peters back at quarterback, sixth year in college. I don't know who he's throwing to. The Williams are quarterback last year. I think he might start at receiver as a chance of that. But this is a Bielema offense, so it's going to be a power rushing attack, focus on tight ends, offensive line. And that's what they want to do. Illinois obviously was hurt by COVID last year too. Yes, I get it, Illinois fans. The three of you out there. So the defense was just horrific, and this is one area where I think you know that they're, they're they're going to have an identity now. How quickly can they implement all of this in year one to be them? You're going to be a rushing offense, and on defense, they want to be aggressive and play a lot more man. New defensive coordinator Ryan Walters get a three four base. They were so bad on de- like early downs, pass defense. They just played a 4-3 cover-2 shell all the time. It was the most predictable defense under Lovey Smith, just an outdated dinosaur when it comes to calling defenses at the, at the college level. So I think that just scheme-wise, on the defensive side of the ball, for a defense that has been hard in recent years, this is one of the uh, most – this is a team that has the most promise that can jump in production just from changing the scheme – so I love Jake Hansen at linebacker, but there's a lot of questions with this team. Can they play that aggressive style? Because the pass team was so bad last year. So there's going to be a lot of focus on how the corners perform. Over three and a half, minus one thirty. You look at their schedule. You know, you start at home against Nebraska and UTSA, winnable games. That's going to go a long way in determining where you go. You know, you're hosting Maryland and you're at Virginia, and you know you have Charlotte at home. And then the schedule gets you know, pretty tough late, but there's some winnable games this schedule. You know, you're, you finish with Northwestern at home. You have Rutgers at home later in the year. So there's some winnable games on the schedule. It's a question of how – this is going to be a drastic turnaround that Bielema wants to do. He wants to come in and establish his identity, wholesale changes on the defensive side of the ball from a scheme perspective. So there's a lot of questions. It's tough to do
2: in year one. What are your thoughts on your boy, Bielema? Oh, my boy. My boy, Brett Bielema. So surprisingly enough with uh, all the nice things I had to say with him at the beginning of the podcast, I'm actually going to put a little sunshine on the Illinois program because I think three and a half is a little bit too low. The question with Illinois is, is Bielema is not the kind of coach that comes in and says, these are the players I have on hand. So these are the kind of plays that I'm going to run until I get my guys in. This is not how it works. He's going to come in and he doesn't care if his offensive line all weighs 240 pounds, he's going to try to pound the ball. So the question is, is what do they have on hand and will it work? So 84% of the offense from transfer activity and returning production come back in. That includes a rank of 105th in success rate and 113th in finishing drives. Not very good numbers. Uh, you know, with the Bieleman team that the goal will be to pound the rock in standard downs and pound the rock in passing downs. So it doesn't matter that Brandon Peters doesn't have anyone to throw to, or maybe he can't even make those passes. They're going to run the ball third and nine. So, and I think the question is, is Tony Peterson, the offensive coordinator? And if, and if you have any like mixed feelings. And you think that they're going to pass the ball and that I'm just saying this because Brett Bielema likes to run the ball. They went out and got Tony Peterson as the offensive coordinator. He just comes in after this, doing the same role at App State where they ran the ball over 64%. So the writing is on the wall. This is going to be a heavy rush unit. And if you're in college fantasy, don't be drafting the Illinois wide receivers, you know, and, and he's got a long history of improving rush attacks everywhere. He's been from East Carolina, La Tech, Marshall. Uh, this is a big jump for him up in job title and program that he's at, but he's proved it before the offensive line returns. Almost everyone except Kinder Green, who's now on the Steelers roster. So Bielema has a stable of offensive linemen who are big and can play in the, in this conference, but he's got a lot of unproven backs. Western Michigan transfer, Chase Brown, maybe not big enough, kind of a shifty back Arkansas, East Carolina transfer, Chase Hayden. I haven't even thought of Chase Hayden until I read about him here uh, transferring into Illinois, uh, was a shifty back at Arkansas, but just did not have the beef to, to play many games. So we'll see what his size is coming into camp. But that's what Bielema is going to do. There's no doubt. And the defense, you know, has some really low marks in just about everything, from what they returned to what they did on the field last year. Defense coordinator Ryan Walters moves in from Missouri, but, you know, there's just there's just not a lot here to, to believe in. Missouri's rank of 126th in finishing drives last year is certainly a stat that's like, it's not wanting me – to back Illinois spreads or back Illinois unders because the defense I do not think is going to improve because the defensive coordinator didn't prove that he could do it before. Illinois' wins and losses are going to be determined by the ability to run five-plus minutes sustained drives on the ground and score once they get past the 40-yard line. And you have to go and look at who they play on their schedule. Nebraska's going to have a bottom-half defensive front seven in the Big Ten UTSA does have a top four front in Conference USA, and, but Virginia might have the worst linebackers in the ACC. Maryland and Minnesota are easily the two worst defensive front sevens heading into the season, especially Minnesota. Just smoking crater uh, couldn't be any worse. So there's chances for Illinois to get wins on this schedule. Even if they're coin flip games, there are just mismatches already that I see where defensive fronts are not going to be able to contain whatever Bealum is going to do from a double tight set or he's going to do from pounding the rock, Uh, you know, underdogs against Maryland, Nebraska, Northwestern, Virginia, all winnable games, all winnable games. The over three and a half is the play. Uh, Listen, what I have to say about Brett Mila at the beginning of the podcast comes from somebody that donates to the Razorback program. But I got news for you. I love my wallet more than anything else. And I think this team is completely being undervalued. Uh, I don't think they can do anything on defense, but – what Bielema wants to do is a huge mismatch for a lot of teams on this schedule. So I think four is easily attainable. I think that uh, I don't disagree
1: with you, but I disagree with you on the defensive side. I think that just that their scheme was so bad last year that there was going to be a bump there regardless. And, but, but it's funny that there's an ex Arkansas running back running for Belima here for Illinois. Yeah. You're, you're pumping them out. But they, have, they have good tight ends, Luke Ford and Daniel Barker. Um, and the, the receivers are just so bad. Like teams are going to be stacking the box against them. I, I think Navarro might be their second receiver. Is a walk-on, a former walk-on. Their mm-hmm. Williams, their ex quarterback, moving to receiver might be the, like. I, I, I think Hightower towers Miami transfer is their best receiver. It's the receivers are are bad. So like I don't know if they can get any balance. Um, and you're just going to have loaded boxes. But I don't I don't disagree with you. I think that it's over or nothing here with the Illini. Um, all right, before we get out of here, great stuff. Covered every team, but let's kind of wrap it up by going three and out.
2: One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out.
1: All right, first down, let's go with our favorite win total. I will start, and I'm going to say Indiana under eight wins. Look, I talked about the schedule at Iowa, since at Penn State, Ohio State at home, but Ohio State's off of a bye at Maryland and at Michigan and at Purdue, those aren't gimmies. Then at Western Kentucky, in the middle of your Cincinnati and Penn State games, and Western Kentucky's off a of bye. Just landmines all over this schedule, which I think is very difficult. I think there's some regression coming for this Indiana team in the turnovers and red zone departments. Look, they could have a top 20, top 25 year and go 7-5, and five, which is where I think this team ultimately ends up. I make the win their win total, that's 7.1. And there's reasons why I want to fade this team. So I bought under eight. And that's all assuming Michael Penix stays healthy all year long. And he's had three season-ending injuries. We'll see how he can do. De- I've had two ACL tears as well. It's not easy psychologically. Hopefully he can stay healthy for Indiana fans' sake. But I do not think this is the first time Indiana gets to nine wins uh, in the past, whatever, 50-plus years.
2: So I'm going Indiana under eight. Where are you at I'm going to join you on that, but I've got two win totals. I just can't decide which one I like better. So let's go with the fate of Michigan. I'm going to go under seven and a half. It's a win total. I make it six. Not a believer in Jim Harbaugh. Josh Gaddis was supposed to be the next coming of everything. Offensive coordinators could be bringing the style from Alabama up to Michigan. It has not happened. We've got questions at quarterback. We've got questions on defensive schemes. We got so many questions and Harbaugh is long enough into this tenure. There shouldn't be questions. We are not, we are going in the wrong direction. And I think that's going to continue. And this win total, uh, it's interesting. Because I, I feel, and I don't like to say I think and I feel stuff, but to be honest, I feel like this win total is a reflection of where some of the consumer base is, right? There are a lot of people betting in the state of Michigan. There are a lot of people betting in New Jersey, state of Michigan, and Las Vegas. And I'm not sure Michigan football is ever going to be allowed to be what their actual win total is. So I, I know my projection is, is well lower and I've looked at other power ratings, people I trust and, you know, SP plus is below seven and a half. So I I don't like this mission, Mich- everything about the Michigan thing. I don't like, and I think the number was put there because they know that there's going to be an appetite for the over on this team, no matter what they put on the field. So under on Michigan for all the analytics we said before also under for that reason, but Hey, I'm going to help you out with your Indiana bet and I'm going to take Purdue over five. Uh, To me, this is still a very exciting team. It's not the most talented two sets of quarterbacks, but they're experienced and I like their TD to INT ratio. Uh, You know, they dealt with so much off the field. I don't, you know, from a COVID perspective, just like Wisconsin uh, I'm going to go with Purdue over five. This is a team I think can get to five And then uh, we've got motivation the rest of the year to get to six and make a bowl. And hopefully that's over Indiana. And all right. Good stuff there. Moving on to second down. It's our favorite
1: Big Ten future.
2: Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it.
1: I'm going, and this is something I played, Wisconsin to win the West. I got them plus 110. I think it's even money minus 110 now. I know playing the favorite in the West is a risky proposition in the Big Ten. There's usually surprises, and this means that Northwestern's probably going to go undefeated and win the West this year. Uh, but I think it's between them and Iowa, looking at the rosters, and I think Wisconsin has a better roster, and Wisconsin hosts Iowa. Wisconsin has all their tough games at home this year, only four true road games, all winnable. I think you know COVID and injuries to keep skill position players really, really just hurt them last year. Graham Mertz, I think, will be much better. <clears throat> there is some subjective input here on in how I'm projecting Mertz, but I think he'll be much better now that he's healthy. Uh, there's going to be some running game. I love Jim than that defense, which returns a ton. And if it comes to this, Wisconsin hosts Iowa. I think they win that game. That's the difference in the division. Uh, so, yeah, I think Wisconsin wins the West. I'm going with the the favorite.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna back you up on that and I'm gonna put a little bit more on it. I mean, if they were these two teams, Wisconsin and I were to play each other on a neutral site, you'd be looking at a point spread about three and a half to four and a half right now in favor of Wisconsin. This isn't being played at a neutral site, this is being played at one of the toughest places in college football to play. So, you know, there are mismatches I think Wisconsin has advantages in. So this number at minus 115 at Bet it needs to be bet. It needs to be bet a lot more. And considering what the point spread would be. Uh, in a projection right now of Iowa and Wisconsin, this is a playable line up to minus 150. So I think it's got a lot of room to be hit right now. Where are you going for your future? I'm joining you, uh, Wisconsin, oh, okay. minus one fifty Yeah, I, I, I'm not only just backing you up, I'm telling you it should be, you should buy this up to 150. Perfect.
1: Consensus on the future. I completely agree. And let's finish up with third down. It's our Big Ten Conference Championship Prediction. I'll start here. Look, like the ACC, it's the Big Ten. There's not many surprises here. It's college football, your power conferences. Guess what? Clemson wins the ACC. Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Not going out on a limb here. I've already just (laughs) told you that I really think Wisconsin wins the West. So obviously I'm going Ohio State over Wisconsin. My prediction is Ohio State wins. Wisconsin covers and it's a competitive game.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm going to stick with you here. I, I mean, there's there's no reason for me to veer outside of Ohio State and Wisconsin being the Big Ten champions. I think it was the first piece I wrote like back in March. I'm like, as the sun rises in the east, Ohio State and Wisconsin are going to meet each other again in the Big Ten championship. I think really price point is something that needs to be discussed. So right now, Ohio State minus 225. And so you have to ask yourself, is that what the money line would be in a potential matchup? And it's in the ballpark. It's pretty close. Projection would be about minus 210. Uh, But the Wisconsin number right now is plus 650, and that's not what the money line is going to be in a game on a neutral site with these two teams against each other. You get Wisconsin uh, back to full speed to what they were in years past. It it could be a little bit lower than that. So the target for Wisconsin should be about 5-1, to considering what the money line will be in the conference championship game. So Wisconsin is a small buy at plus 650, but that number needs to be hedged once you actually get to the Big Ten championship game, which is why price point – is so important here. You don't wanna take Ohio State over minus 200 and you don't wanna take Wisconsin anything less than five to one.
1: There you have it, good stuff. All things Big 10, as comprehensive as you're gonna find on our first official episode of Big Bets on Campus. Thank you for migrating over to our primary feed. Make sure you leave a review, subscribe if you haven't already. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. We are Very important to us. We're going to grow this feed and bring you just tons of college content and only college content to your feed. So help us out with the review, and we'll do giveaways uh, throughout the season. Thank you for listening. It's time for us to go get to work on the Pac-12, which will be out next Tuesday. Thanks again, Colin, and thanks all of you for listening. We'll catch you all next time. Cheers. Peace out.